Hey, welcome to Full Count. We're doing a recap for 2022, how the stock market reacted and how housing has also, you know, have adjusted just because of the whole mortgage rate situation. We'll also talk about some features about homes that aren't as popular anymore because of the fact that uh, personal savings rates have plummeted. Three balls, two strikes, pressure's on. This is where we discuss real estate, property improvement, and business. Together, we'll strategize on how to win. Welcome to the Full Count. All right, Andrew. Well, what are we talking about today? Uh, there's a lot to cover today. We're going to be talking about how Americans are feeling during this time now that, you know, things have definitely changed and shifted to more of a recessionary time in terms of the stock market, real estate and other things as well. So there's a lot we can get into today. And I think the point of today is mainly to equip people with information and we can explain and, you know, agree to disagree on certain things and in, in in terms of that too, I think what's important is I was seeing how um, there's like this guy named Patrick Red David and then some other very uh, well-known people, how they have said that generational wealth disappears after two generations and after three, it's even more so. So I think the more we all kind of know a little bit about finance and things in current events, I think the better and more equipped we are as uh, people to flourish. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, just uh, the one bit on that though, right? When, from what you're quoting, so is that if the two and three generations afterwards just live off of that wealth that was built by that one person and basically not build anything else? Well, it was just saying statistically that that was like a matter of fact of how it okay. goes down. 70% uh, of the time after two generations, that wealth that was built pretty much evaporates. And then 90% of the time uh, after three generations, it evaporates as well. But it didn't really give that qualitative mm. data that you're asking. It just right. really gave the that data. But I believe a lot of that is also due to how your mindset is and how organized you are and how you kind of take over the business. Because we all see very well-known people like the Vanderbilts will start something and then their generation of people kind of loses it, unfortunately. Um, yeah. so that's kind of, kind of what I'm getting at. Cause like, for example, when I grew up as a kid, um, you know, I, I come from a middle class. I think you do too, right? Yeah. So my, dad would call, these, call it that, I guess. <laughs> I mean, my, my dad would do these meetings with us as a family unit where we'd get yeah. together and he would, you know, after dinner sometimes too, we would talk about, you know, our lives, how school is going and, you know, how we can kind of help one mm -hmm. another with whatever issues we have. When it came to finance though, we didn't really talk about that except you know, very bare minimum things, which I think in some cases is very important. People miss out on as kids, but we talked a little mm -hmm. bit about credit cards, saving, and that was it. Very yeah. surface level things. But I think for me, as I get older, if I were, were to have kids, I think I would definitely want to, you know, um, hunker down and really teach the children about finance to many. Right. Things, right. So that's kind of why yep. I'm doing this, talking about real estate business and whatever comes about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that way you don't have to be like me growing up and my parents were, I mean, especially my dad. <laughs> Always, you know, got to watch what you're spending, got to watch what you're using, always got to be mindful of things. So <laughs> that way you don't have to worry about those things. I think that's a good thing, right? In a way. Uh, yes and no. It, it depends on, you know, how you take it. I mean, I obviously went to finance and taught myself personal finance and all of that. So I, I know better now, right? But I mean, growing up, it was like you you always 
you want to be mindful with your money, but then there's a there's a certain point, right, where you want to watch what you're spending, but then you also want to be able to enjoy yourself and not have to worry every five seconds about what you're using, what you're spending, how many times you're flushing the toilet. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what degrees the freaking air conditioner is on? Like, <laughs> two degrees here, two degrees there. <laughs> to a degree, I think that is like, um, I think that is helpful. I think there's like layers or levels, I mean, to it. So, level is level one, save and watch your cost and be mindful of credit cards. Level two, you know, it can go to invest and things like that. Invest in assets. What's the difference between assets and liabilities? But I, I can see what you're saying with that. Sometimes we can go a little too extreme and be too afraid too to spend right. money. That's like the immigration mentality yeah. too, you know, like when my great grandparents immigrated over, they were, they had a watch because they had nothing, you know, but then that was passed down. And even when you did have something, yeah, still having that mentality isn't necessarily great. I'm glad you brought that up too about the immigration mentality. I think that is true in the case because I was watching a video with, um, I forgot his last name. His name is Robert though. He's on Shark Tank. We'll talk about this more oh, as we yeah. go through the mm -hmm. video podcast. He basically said the immigration mentality is to never leverage your money for the most part, pay right. everything in cash, pay your cars in cash, pay your houses in cash and things like that. So mm -hmm. I can see where you're getting. Yeah, he's, he's one of my favorites. I actually saw him uh, speak live at one of the events I went to. Uh, oh, and cool. I think, yeah. Uh, Say what? Or when? Recently or how soon? No, this was, uh, I don't know. This was before COVID. Okay. A little before COVID. I think like six months, a year before COVID or something like that. What did you get out of that um, speech? I mean, he he is big on like what you said on the immigration mentality, kind of where he came from and being able to make something for yourself, for your family, for generations after that just by you know being being strict with yourself and actually pursuing something and just keeping at it you know failure over failure um till you make it so he he's he's very big on that and he he's he's also his personality i mean you you could see him on shark tank right i mean his personality is you know very down to earth he relates to the everyday kind of people yeah whereas like some of them are they, they're a little too high on their horse sometimes, you know, so. Yeah, like Robert, I think I think you're right, because Robert, I can see myself like being around, you know, on a personal level, yeah. business level. But like uh, Mr. Wonderful, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. He's great. He's great. I think, I, I think like uh, Mark Cuban and, and Kevin O'Leary would be amazing to hang out with. Yeah. But, you know, for a while, you're like, all right, dude. Right. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So with that said, let's talk about the personal savings rate because personal savings rate has definitely uh, hit its lowest from what I saw on the Wall Street Journal and other uh, places as well. Mm -hmm. um, gone to the lowest level since like 2005, um, which was 2.1% uh, right. in 2005 personal savings uh, rate. Now it's 2.3%. And basically that just means like once you once you have all your cash and you subtract all your expenses, what you get left over with, and that's mm -hmm. the percentage left over with. Uh, during the pandemic period, when everyone was kind of locked down and things like that, uh, the personal savings rate, you know, exponentially exploded, you know, considering you're not driving, you're not sp overspending on going out, mm -hmm. dinner, whatever, it was around 33%. But now it's at 2.3%. I just find that not good, obviously. Yeah. Well, like the, the piece of the article that you sent me, right? 
So the way we're defining personal savings rate is a measure of how much money people have left over after spending, you know, their, their personal spending as well as their taxes. Right. Right. So it said that, uh, it fell to 3.1% from 3.4% in August. And this was, do you remember when this article was this piece that you sent me a couple of days ago, maybe Um, No. mid December, early December. November. Oh, November. November. Yeah, okay. it might have been so that's why the statistics are a little different, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Because it says from, uh, this was from 7.9% a year ago. So. Are you sure you're looking at the personal savings rate? Yeah, it says personal oh. savings rate. Yep. Fell to 3.1% from 34 oh, yeah, yeah. It said in April of 2020, it was in the 33% range of some sort. 338 it was. 33.8? Yeah. Look, look, it up, look it up online in the meantime, just to okay. make sure we're... Yeah. <laughs> put, in, put in accurate facts out there. Well, well. <laughs> it, no, it was 33.8% from what I saw in the Wall Street Journal uh, maybe four or, three, four or three days ago. Oh, okay. Um, in 2019, the personal savings rate, you know, obviously before everything went crazy, was around like 7.6%, which is obviously much better than the two or even 3% range. Um, but I don't think we're going to see a, a personal savings rate remotely close to what it was in 2020, according to that stat being at the uh, 33.8% mm-hmm. um, range. But um, unless the culture completely changes and Americans you know, be, believe in saving again and investing, but I don't think that's the case. Right. I think we're always going to over leverage ourselves on things that maybe not uh, are the best, you know, Things to spend money on, things like that. Yeah. So this says, uh, according to, so this is Y charts. So the personal savings rate is at two point four percent currently, and this is December, compared to two point two percent last month and seven point one percent a year ago. Okay. Yep. Got it. Okay. Cool. So that's what I, that, I think. That's kind of the case then, because my my data might be more current in terms of the two point. Three yeah. percent versus your two point four. Not to get like into all the the details of that, but I find that important, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yes, twenty twenty it hit like thirty three percent. Obviously, as times have been getting more difficult and the stock market's been changing and real estate, everything, Bitcoin imploding, the personal savings rate has been tanking. So yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. You said a year ago, savings rate was seven percent. Yeah, yeah, just about. Okay. But I mean, then it, that goes along the lines with inflation cre- increasing, right? Consumer goods increasing. People have to spend more money to basically sustain their lifestyle that they were before, right? right? So they're able right. to save less or having to pull in, pull out from what they have saved up. So sure, <clears throat> makes sense. Well, what I saw too is ninety percent of Americans believe we're going to hit a recession next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're probably right, obviously, but. A lot of that also could be because of what they hear on social media with their friends and all the chatter and the noise. Because sometimes people can lead themselves into a recession just based off of perception. Let's say there's no recession in life, but everyone's thinking about it. So what do people do? They stop spending a little bit uh, less. They they stop investing. They start, you know, stop going out. But I think in this case, I think that's more than likely we'll probably be in going to recession more than likely. But nobody knows exactly until we're into it for 2023 sometime of this quarter mm-hmm. coming up. Um, yeah, I'm glad you I mentioned that, that, though, because it is definitely, there's a big psychological aspect, right? I mean, if you look right, at right. sociology and the study of groups, 
you could see that, right? If, if people think and, you know, they're, they're kind of perceiving that something's going to happen, then it usually does because they base their actions on that. And it's kind of, uh, what's the word, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, uh, perceived, uh, uh, like you're, you're basically writing your fate on the wall. I forgot uh, what the term is for it, but there's a term for it. I, I get um, what you're so. Yeah. Not cognitive dissonance, right? No, that's no, no. That's something else. Okay. No, yeah. I don't. I'll think like, of it. <laughs> Give me like yeah, twenty minutes. Yeah, exactly. like, oh, by the way. <laughs> What's that? Oh no, I said, "Give me twenty minutes, and I'll think of it." I'll be like, "Oh, by <laughs> oh, the way." <laughs> um, what was the other uh, stat we saw that was interesting? Was um, in terms of I'm trying to see here, it was uh, the Ra National Retail Federation how they estimated that. 1.4% of the revenue that they receive has been due to theft. Overall, most of that statistic, 1.4% mm. of the revenue in total of all, across the nation has been because of all the theft going on, which mm -hmm. equates to about $94.5 billion, I think it was, which is- Yeah, crazy. that's what it was, yeah. And, you know, I have my own thoughts on, on why that is the whole theft, you know, considering, you know, criminals may feel more- confident that the legal system might not go after them necessarily. Uh, I know in California at, at one point, I don't think it's a case anymore, but if you stole $900 worth of whatever type of good and you stole it, mm -hmm. as long as it's under that bracket, you're not necessarily going to be arrested or get legal ramifications really. So mm -hmm. my point with, with bringing that stat up though, is what they were saying uh, in that stat was they're probably going to see uh, a bunch of retail companies, the like groceries and things like that, their prices are going to go up even more because obviously they're losing money. Yeah. And that just sucks for. Yeah. So just to clarify, we were talking about shrinkage, right? So that 94.5 billion is the amount right. of shrinkage in inventory. So shrinkage is a term for loss of inventory um, in, right. you know, in the retail industry. So they were saying that it amounted to roughly 1.4% of retail revenue in 2021, um, which is the 94.5 billion. Um, and that most of it was caused by theft. So not all of it, but most of it, you know, others could be like, right. uh, uh, bad products or, you know, returns that were open, yeah. whatever it was, you know, my point with, with bringing that stat up though, is what they were saying, uh, in that stat was they're probably going to see uh, a bunch of retail companies, the like groceries and things like that, their prices are going to go up even more because obviously they're losing money. And that just sucks yeah. for Americans. Yeah. So just to clarify, we were talking about shrinkage, right? So that 94.5 billion right. is the amount of shrinkage in inventory. So shrinkage <laughs> is a term for loss of inventory. Right. Um, in, you know, in the retail industry. So they were saying that it amounted to roughly 1.4% of retail revenue in 2021, um, which is the 94.5 billion. Um, and that most of it was caused by theft. So not all of it, but most of it, you know, right. others could be like, uh, uh, bad products or, you know, yeah. returns that were open, whatever it was, you know, but I mean, that makes sense because things are getting more expensive. People are more prone to steal, right? They're, they're looking to get something for free. Fortunately, yeah. yeah, I think that's well, they just they can't afford it and they got to live. Yeah, and that, and that, 
that sucks for those people, obviously. Um, but there's also there's way of getting, um, what do you call that? Uh, like food stamps mm-hmm. and things like yeah, that. Yeah, there's government programs. There's some, yeah, there's people in the world that don't fall in each category, which really mm-hmm. sucks. But either way, though, like we that shouldn't be an excuse for someone to go oh, out and no. you know steal. Yeah. Yeah, there's no excuse um, for it. Uh, you know, and I mean, some people, probably the majority of them, I would say, I mean, I could be completely wrong on this, but I would think the majority of people that do steal are stealing to resell it and make a profit on it, on whatever it is. I can see that with like um, jewelry, clothing, yeah. but I don't know about grocery. I think they're mm-hmm. taking it for themselves. Obviously. I mean, if you go, you get it for free and then you go to, you know, a low income area and you're selling groceries. Hey, I mean, even if it's produce, you're making a profit, right? Uh, it's for free. <laughs> yeah. or no, no, not arbitrage. Yes, exactly. You buy one type of good in a given area and then you take it to another location mm-hmm. and you sell mm-hmm. it. But either way, I mean, I hope those people get caught because that yeah. obviously sets a precedent of Americans, you know, to steal more and that's obviously not good but either way the moral of that story is that sucks why does that suck because now more than likely according to retailers they're gonna bump up the prices and make it even more costly for americans that are law-abiding citizens and that's obviously going to pressure in a little bit to inflation Mm -hmm. yeah because somebody's got to pay for it right and it's usually the consumer right Mm -hmm. right right um but leading into that um CPI came out for November uh, at 7.1%, which is great because we're starting to see it soften. It was at 9.1% around June, mm-hmm. I think, uh, or maybe a little after. But either way, it was at 9.1% at one given point, and it's been slowly kind of falling uh, month over month. And hopefully we see that continue to fall because when CPI falls, mortgage rates tend to fall mm-hmm. too. Um reason why I bring that up too is even though inflation is coming back down, um, according to the stat I was reading, uh, 12% of goods in groceries mm-hmm. have still gone up and they're not going down. Mm-hmm. So even though inflation's coming down, it doesn't mean every particular department or industry is going is correlated with it. Some are still going to stay right. higher. That makes sense. Yeah. So there's actually an interesting concept. So if inflation goes down and say the value of the dollar, right? Becomes, I don't think this is necessarily going to happen. I don't think this has ever happened in history. Maybe it has, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you know, but, um, the value of the dollar becomes stronger, right? But prices stay high. That means they're even more expensive. The value of the dollar gets right. stronger and what the, the prices of consumer goods stay high. So say if something's worth you know, something right now is priced at $4 at the value of the dollar as it is now, right? Now the value of the dollar increases. So that dollar is supposedly worth more. So say it's, you could buy, maybe it's worth like $5, a $5 good item, right? But Mm -hmm. prices stay high. Does that necessarily make the price of the good even more expensive? Or am I just completely out there? I don't necessarily know. I understand. I think I understand what you're saying, but I think we'd have to look back at um, the inflation crisis during the nineteen late 1970s mm. and, and mm. early 80s. Inflation's mm-hmm. right. But I don't know 
the value of the dollar also skyrocketed mm. upward. I I would have to on that. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, and I guess that kind of gets into like foreign exchange and currency and all that. Stuff. Well, the thing is, the dollar is always fluctuating. Yeah, right, exactly. right? They're like the stock mm-hmm. exchange. So uh, dollars are weaker. Sometimes they're stronger, and sometimes it's better to be weaker the U.S. dollar, and sometimes it's better to right. be stronger. Uh, like a strong dollar is good for us as Americans, but when it comes to like purchasing items that are being mm-hmm. imported, right from other countries, that tends to get even more expensive because those nations tend to have um, our currency as a reserve currency for them. So when they're paying back their debt in U.S. dollars, it's more right. expensive uh, because dollars are getting more expensive, so their debt is getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a very um, complex thing, I guess you could say. And at that point, I think we need a, like an economy. Yeah, I was just going to say that's kind of a separate topic. <laughs> Get into right, that for right. a while. Uh, right. But but that's why I think it's good, even during inflationary times. Um, although I think it's probably going to soften in the next four or five months, mm-hmm. hopefully. Um, regardless, it's always good to invest in some type of asset. Uh, so your dollar, per se, is going up with that mm-hmm. asset, right? Rather than just the money and leaving it without it growing any type of interest rate right on any no i agree i agree that's why uh jared and i are closing on this investment property <laughs> it's supposed to close in two weeks did you guys yeah it? yeah we got it um we need it needs a little bit of work not too much nothing major um and we're just getting everything in line and in the process and uh we close in close in two weeks so hopefully knock on wood Good for you. <laughs> So I'm glad I'm glad you're out there still, you know, with that mindset mm-hmm. to buy. I mean, Jared knows yeah, what he's doing. Exactly. I'm sure that I'll more right. confident too. Yeah. So some people have gotten on the sideline. When I say people, buyers have gotten on the sideline mm-hmm. real estate because they're afraid of what's happening, yep. right? So um, yep. with speaking of real estate, I think we should go into that. Um, according to the National Association of Realtors, the median house price across the nation is now three hundred and seventy thousand dollars. Uh, it's up three and a half percent for November statistic year to year, but at the same time we're seeing a softening in prices as well. Um, so you know I think that's um, has to do a lot with you know, interest rates mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. up higher. And fortunately now that CPI is going down, I think mortgage interest rates are probably going to come down with it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. More than likely the home prices will soften a little bit more and um, at one point, once we get around five and a half percent mortgage interest rates, hopefully, or lower, I think prices will start to come back up. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a good, like, stabilizing point, right? Around four or five percent, and it's usually it stays pretty stable, you know. Because I mean, if you look at like some of the history, where the mortgage rates are around that range, then you see prices kind of stay within a relative range as well right you know right so and i mean they you know the mortgage interest rates went up but now they have come come back down a little bit like i think yeah, we, I we locked in uh like six percent so you locked in six percent mm-hmm. that's really good because mm-hmm. right now okay yeah. so like a week ago it was like six and a quarter um after like right. three days ago it was like I, again i i i'm not a uh a lender, mortgage lender. I'm not licensed for that. Mm-hmm. I really quote rates, but I'm just kind of speaking um, opinions and kind of what I recall. But um, a couple of days ago, the mortgage rates 
or even today, I guess, was 6.4 to 6.5%. They kind of went up recently, mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. it's always fluctuating. But yeah, you're right. I think um, because mortgage rates are going down, uh, demand is going to start coming back up. Hopefully that mortgage rate continues to you know slide downward rather than mm -hmm. back up. But um, I think it's good. At 6% is a really good deal that you got. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm glad we <clears throat> we were able to get it because this was two weeks ago, it was 6%. And then the end of November, when we were in contract with another property that didn't end up working out, it was six and a quarter. So, and like you said, it kind of okay. went up a bit after that and then came back down. Yeah. Right, right. Do you want to uh, touch on uh, some of those? Uh, the Case yeah. Shielder Price Index, let's talk about that. So that came out for October. They're uh, two mm -hmm. months behind. Um, what we recall, what what we saw there, based on the stat, I'll read it here. It's uh, uh, let's see here, home price index for October it went down in October zero point five percent nationally, um, but it's still up nine point two percent year to year from October of twenty twenty one. At one point in March of this year, it was twenty point eight percent at the peak mm -hmm. in March. Uh, prices have declined uh, countrywide 3% across the nation. And in terms of the 20, the 10 to 20 um, Case-Shiller index for like the more metropolitan areas, we've seen an e even deeper uh, decrease rather than 3%. So it's now at around 4.6% home price decline from the peak of like March. So we definitely have seen a little bit of a, of a little shave off the top in terms of home prices, but Again, it all relates to higher mortgage rates when they hit seven to seven and a half percent. In some cases, it was even 8% in 2022. Now we're looking at below sixes. Mm -hmm. And hopefully as the year proceeds into 2023, hopefully first quarter or second, we'll see it around five and a yeah. half or so. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, yeah. It'd be really nice. Yeah. And then if, if prices were ever to, you know, I mean, not prices, but mortgage rates were to come down even further, I don't know if they would come down that much, but let's say it comes down to 5% or four and a half percent, then you can always refinance. Yeah, exactly. That's what Jared and I were figuring. Um, I mean, as long as it makes sense with, you know, paying for closing costs and all of that, you have to factor that in, but yeah, exactly. Exactly. But just on that note, so I mean, you know, kind of to pivot that's, that's related to that, the value of the U S single family housing market, the trend graph, that you had sent over, I did find pretty interesting. And I think if rates did uh, drop, you know, we, we would see that debt line increase. Um, and as it compares to the amount of home equity that's out there, we'd probably see that gap close. But I don't think it would be such a rapid decline as with the last housing bubble in the, you know, 2008 financial crisis. Right, right. Because, I mean, what do we have here in the stat? Let's see. 28% um, decline in home prices took place in 2006, mm -hmm. 2009. So it set about 11 million homes um, below their mortgage right. balances, right? So basically underwater. Um, in December of this of 2022, uh, CoreLogic said home prices would have to fall about 45% from their peak. So from like March 2022 to be in proportion to the mortgages underwater back in um, 06 to 09 mm -hmm. period. So, you know, we really need a drastic 
reduction in home prices from the peak to really get to that point. And I, I think that's why we're not really seeing that probably going to mm-hmm. take place. I did a video. I don't know if you saw around the summer. I, I mentioned just based off of um, this uh, statistician and economist mm-hmm. in Florida, was who their professors. I utilized their their charts and kind of did my own little spin on it. And I saw that in Southern California, prices could fall as much as twelve percent, um, if get worse. But besides that, I don't think we're going to see anything really above ten percent, where prices for homes would necessarily mm-hmm. come down. Um, think, but I'm speaking. I'm speaking right. for California. I'm not speaking nationwide. Nationwide, that's right. a different story. Exactly. No, I. I mean, I agree with that. I think the average nationwide would be somewhere around ten percent. I don't think it would be. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, 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 I know, I know. But I I mean, I I think California would probably follow the average more or less, you know, just because it's a very high demand market. You know, it's a a strong market. Well, here's. Yeah, it's a strong market. I mean, um, the toxic mortgages don't Mm -hmm. exist like they did then. No, uh, no asset situation. The the vetting from lenders is very difficult now in terms of like getting a loan. If you're trying to be a sleazeball about it, you're not going to get it. They're not going to give it to you. Um, here's a statistic from uh, Stephen Thomas reports who does this like housing reports. Uh, he's a statistician. Uh, he's not a realtor, but a statistician. He put in, I don't know where he got this data, but I'm sure it's legit. Maybe CoreLogic. I don't know. But it says in California, 89% of homeowners who have a loan are enjoying a fixed rate at or below mm. 5%. And then he went even further. 71% of homeowners in California have a 4% mortgage mm. rate or lower. So that tells you right there. That's, I mean, 89% is a mm-hmm. ton, even 71. That tells you that if those people still have a job, which I'm sure they probably will, but even in a recession, Change. they always can yeah. wipe them out of a job. That tends to be more in the service industry, but who knows? These people could be in the service industry too. But the point of what I'm getting at is people are not going to want to sell their home. Majority of those people, that 89% are not going to want to sell their home with a fixed mortgage Mm -hmm. interest rate under that. So with that being said, there's not going to be a whole lot of supply or inventory Mm -hmm. going out Mm -hmm. into the market. Right. Right. I mean, that's, I think that's also applicable nationwide, you know? I mean, people, people with a lower Probably, mortgage yes. rate, you know, they're not going to want to sell it right. and have to buy something at a higher rate, you know? I mean, if they have it, they own it cash and outright, that's a different story. Um, and I did find that statistic yeah. that you sent over really interesting that, um, what, 39% of houses, single, single family houses in the U.S. are owned um, or have, have a mortgage. Really? Or no, sorry, free, own free and clear, right? Yeah. Right. 39%. I think it was 37 or 39% of all homeowners in the country right. do not have yeah. a mortgage. They so that's just a little over a third. That's, that's a lot. That's another, that's, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, if things really got really bad, I mean, and prices really fell, it would have to, that's why mm-hmm. that statistic I was saying, prices would have to fall 45% home prices in order for, you know, people to be underwater on the mortgages right. back in like right. 08 or 09. Agreed. So, yeah. But inventory still, you know, that, that whole concept of inventory is a big thing. I think uh, the existing home sales, um, I got the stat too. I think it might've been by MBS Highway, but um, inventory is about 1.14 mm-hmm. million today. And 
about 35% of that 1.14 million homes on the market. So yeah, 35% of that is an escrow. So a lot of those homes are not touchable. The other mm -hmm. ones are actually for sale. Back in like 2008, there was 3.7 or 4 million homes for sale rather than the 1.14 that I just mentioned. So again, inventory would have to explode yeah. for things to get really bad. So I, I think people that are listening and watching can be more so rest assured it's probably not going to get as bad as you know they would expect um and it would really have to get so bad that everything everything we own evaporates in terms of uh, mm -hmm. uh value mm -hmm. so I agree I and i mean you bad. could you could see it so by we'll you know we'll put this up on the video but by that trend graph that you sent over with the debt and equity trend lines i mean mm -hmm. the equity trend line would just have to plummet and plummet quickly right for people to go underwater um because it's at what the deadline now yeah. as of what is this it looks like uh, maybe july or august of 2022 maybe this this is from right the the debt you know what yeah I don't, I don't yeah but the debt is at just about 13 trillion well let me let me read this to you it, from the Urban Institute, the data they mm -hmm. released, this was back in June though. They said mortgage debt was 15% higher um, than in end of 2007. So the mortgage debt is 15% higher as of 2022 than in 07. However, I mean, that obviously sounds not good, but the total equity is 131% higher right. today than it was back in 07. So that's a pretty big difference yeah. of equity. There's a lot of equity that homeowners have to play with in case they can't make payments they can always you know refinance and and you know tap exactly. into that equity exactly and hold on one so second i just have to i have to get my charger from my computer right okay sorry i thought i was plugged in already <clears throat> let's talk about uh features in, in homes though that are not as um popular as they were back in mm -hmm. 2021 or even earlier in 2022, which was pools and all these patios and things like that. Basically things that homeowners love to enjoy, but it may not necessarily be uh, something that's completely um, in use that you need right now, right? These are more like things just to have. It's nicer and it's more fun to have. But um, based on the Wall Street Journal, they were saying that um, Pools, new construction for pools have dropped 10 to 15% this year as opposed to last year. So not as many people are installing pools anymore. It's, I mean, it, it was a hot thing to have, you know, during the mm -hmm. social distancing and all this extra money had and things like that. But now people are not spending as much right. as they, they used to. And that kind of goes to the whole recession concept. And, um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I'd love to yeah. hear what Steven has to think too. I think we'll have him on next. We can see what he says about all uh, building out all these fancy right. patios that people do and install pools. I know, Nick, I mentioned to you this actually uh, with Steven on mm -hmm. when we were talking about remodeling, how things, these features of homes, you know, the popularity tends mm -hmm. to plummet when exactly. a recession. Comes. I mean, because it's, it's one of the first things to go because you can live without it in your house, right? I right. mean, it's, it's more of a nice to have than need to have. You need to have a kitchen. You need to have a bathroom. <laughs> you don't need to have a pool. You don't need to have a you know a jacuzzi, a sauna, 
cold plunge, whatever it is. <laughs> um, but I, that article that you sent over the pool corp article, I did find interesting because they were talking about how the, some of the statisticians were lumping pools in with in-home um, gyms with portable hot tubs, things that you can get rid of, right? Whereas a in-ground built-in pool, you necessarily right. can't get rid of. Um, and that it wasn't, those in-ground pools weren't necessarily giving back the amount of equity that they used to into right. a house. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think people just need to really cut back if you don't have the funds or you don't believe you have the funds in the next year or two. I think definitely hold back and maybe not not spend the money because, like you said, it's just nice to have. It's not a necessity per se. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, you know, right. I'd like to know what that statistic comes out to later in 2023. I would believe it's going to fall a little mm -hmm. bit further. So, you know, if you invested in a pool company, a stock, you might. You know, you might want to reconsider that, but who knows? It might bounce back. It might hit a mm -hmm. bottom and it might start bouncing back. Who knows? But now that we're talking about stocks or yeah. things like that, I think we should get into it. Um, because the Fed Federal Reserve raised Fed funds rate 50 basis points in December of 2022. So now it's ranging four and a half percent Fed funds rate, which are those uh short-term rates, right? And that affects loans all across mm -hmm. you know the board. Uh with that said. You know, stocks haven't been very good this year. They said that the stocks have been lower this year. I mean, not lower. They're they're similar in terms of percentage downfalls as it was back in 2008. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, is that showing a similarity? Like a very, very close similarity, do you think? it's? Do you think it's a big leading indicator? Of what? Yeah. I think so. I mean, there's a lot of other things at play that are leading mm -hmm. indicators like the inverted yield curve. Uh, three month uh, yield to the 10 year yield is inverted. Mm -hmm. So is a two to 10. That usually tends to be a leading indicator. The manufacturing index that I've heard of too is down. Um, so that tends to be a leading indicator. Housing is technically in a recession in terms of the, mm -hmm. the home buying and volumes has been going down too. So yeah, I think we probably are, mm -hmm. if not in a recession already. But I would never be the one to say, oh, yeah, we're definitely in a recession because I don't know. You know, I don't think most people really know except some experts. But what sucks is when it comes out, the word that we're in a recession, they tend to say, oh, we were in a recession. Yeah, right, because they don't want to you know, have recession. people panic like anything else, you know, like that. <laughs> right. They're not going to tell right. you, oh, a meteorite is coming to hit the <laughs> earth. They'll tell you, oh, two months ago, the meteorite almost hit the earth. <laughs> Tell you after the fact, you know, because then people panic right. and you're prone to get into a recession or whatever it is. Yeah. Even mm -hmm. more. Yeah. Like we were saying earlier. Um, but like, I, I think definitely the, the higher ups, the elites of some right. sort, definitely, you know, they know for sure. Um, the uh, people that are mm -hmm. on the Bloomberg mm -hmm. terminal. Well, the investment bankers. Too, right. Normally, mm -hmm. Right. Right. Rule of thumb is two consecutive quarters that are negative. Right. GDP tends to be a recession, but NBERS, I forgot the name of it, but they're an organization that actually uh, looks through all the data and then they mm -hmm. basically mention if you're in a recession or not. But going into stocks real quick, the um, year to year um, from the beginning of the year to now, uh, the Dow has fallen 8.78%. 
the S&P 500 has almost fallen 20%, and then the NASDAQ has fallen 27.65%. So obviously, yeah. people's portfolios is not good. I know we did a recap the first and mm -hmm. second quarter, as you recall, Nick, uh, in 2022. Uh, we were saying how stocks were probably not looking good based off of what we read, and there was some optimism out there, but unfortunately, the data says it all, mm -hmm. and stocks have not been good. Uh, tech went down, I think, like, I don't know, 70% or maybe close to 70% um, mm -hmm. from the uh, start of the year. So yeah, uh, it's kind of scary out there, especially like go and Bitcoin yeah, exactly. being down That's so much. That's why I followed Robert Kiyosaki's advice and invested in real estate instead. <laughs> um, he was um, talking about it because that imploded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I didn't see him talk about uh, crypto or Bitcoin. Um, Are you talking about Bitcoin? But just your point... He talked about Bitcoin what? a lot because he, he's a big advocate of gold, real estate, mm. of course. And then at one point he was, you yeah. know, in 2021, he was talking about invest in Bitcoin, yada, yada. Um, although I'm not mm. investing in Bitcoin, okay, I think I it's going be that. good. But unfortunately, you know, right. people invested at the peak even when it hit 60,000. Now it is 16, 18,000. Mm. Um, but in any right. case, do you remember the, um, the whole concept of FANG stocks? Now, yeah, yeah, so it was what is it? Facebook, Amazon, Amazon Netflix, Google. I think Netflix. I was Google. watching, um, on Twitter, I, I saw a tweet by Ross Gerber, who's the CEO of the financial group. Mm -hmm. He's one of the founders of it, uh, Gerber Kawasaki, and he was saying how it's mm -hmm. no longer Fang, it's now TAM, which is Tesla, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Netflix, which I found pretty fascinating, you know. that yeah i don't yeah yeah when when you sent that over to me i don't know i don't necessarily agree with the whole netflix piece of it i mean yes netflix is big everybody's you know was home watching netflix their scott their stock rose but i mean it's come down quite a bit now the, and i don't know i just don't see it being at that level <laughs> with them well, they you keep know? making great content i think that's what he meant um and Oh yeah, like the Netflix. Yeah, rather movies. than box office. But you're right. Yeah. Netflix has fallen fifty percent mm -hmm. from the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not as bad as Tesla, exactly. but I still think Tesla's probably the better uh, stock to invest in for EVs. Yeah, I mean, if you got to pick, probably any of the like car manufacturing companies, that's probably you know one of the top one. That that's probably the top one right now. Yeah, at least. By the way, um, I it was NBER. I forgot what the acronym stands for. That's the organization that evaluates all the um, the uh, data to determine whether recession or not. So uh -huh. NBER, National Bureau of Economic okay. Something. Okay. Oh yes, got it. Um, okay, interesting. Well, we'll see what they say six months from now, probably. Right. <laughs> uh, but just. Point on the stocks, right? I know you, you know, you mentioned that a lot of people were hurting, but people that are probably or that are hurting the most are the people who are just now going into retirement, right? Because they, I mean, I know a number of people who have just recently retired or are going into retirement and they were banking on having so much more in their 401k and their portfolios to be able to live yeah. off of. Right. And now they either got to continue working at their current job 
right? I mean, I think everybody should do something even after they retire from their career job, if they do have one, but um, they might have to still stay at that job and continue their career because of how much of a downturn the stock market has taken. And if they want to be able to sustain a certain lifestyle, then that's what they have to do, right. you know? Yeah, it's unfortunate. Some people get out of retirement. Um, mm -hmm. Right. The people who are just turning, you know, 65, right. 67, then they're kind of, they're hurting now. So that's why you, you just don't know. Like when you get there, you put all this money into your 401k, your Roth, your other stock investments. And when you get there, you know, if things have a huge downturn, you have no choice. That's really unfortunate. Working, and, and right? I think that Americans and what makes it even yeah. more um, difficult and kind of sad too is AI is like replacing a lot of jobs. So a lot of those more so um, jobs on the body, maybe even mm -hmm. on the mind per se, that aren't as complex that maybe people in their older age want to go into to do to pay the bills. They can't really do that, especially as time goes mm -hmm. by. Um, but that's why I think it's so important to invest in like real estate. And I know I keep pushing real estate because I'm a realtor and I know that kind of, you know, I have the incentive to push it, but I think the reality is real estate is really important because you can rely on that cash flow and cash flow is key to, you know, live mm -hmm. out your life more comfortably, like uh, Guy Kawasaki and Grant Cardone, even though I don't agree with Grant a lot on things, but right. I do agree with that. Um, but there's also like cash flow you can get from stocks that, um, pay a dividend, right? So depends. As long as you can yeah, find exactly. a way to get cash flow, um, I think that's really important. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaways are is right. you want to be diversified, right? You want to have investments right. in different areas with with different assets. So I think think that's the the main take home point, right? Have some in stocks, have some in real estate have some in, you know, a business or a number of businesses that you've started that eventually is, are able to run on their own or with minimal amount of mm -hmm. your time, you know, and that way they, all those different avenues kind of give you uh, income. Right. And I think like, that's why it's crucial to, to some degree, you know, mm -hmm. take that risk to find a way to diversify and really find a way to get that cash flow so you can live a more comfortable life as we age. Because uh, as I was saying this, uh, you know, a story earlier mm -hmm. about Grant Cardone and Robert from Shark Tank, Robert was saying that immigration mentality mm -hmm. um, is to pay everything with all cash, right? Um, he was saying to, I guess he used an example when yeah. he was young or maybe his parents came, I think it was more, but there was like, a, if you have $100,000, right? He has $100,000 and a friend has 100,000. He would always ask his friend who decided to pay the house in cash, $100,000 home or $200,000 home, where you already paid 10% off. Why not, if you have the means, buy a million dollar yeah. home as an example? I think that's a bit of a you know extreme example. Buy a million dollar house, leverage your, your money. Now you can get a, a more expensive asset. You put, uh, you end up you know putting, or not putting, but you end up seeing an appreciation mm -hmm. over 20 years or whatever. Let's just say at the bare minimum that that $200,000 home you bought right. has only gone up $40,000, right? You spent that $100,000. But if you spent $100,000 and bought a million dollar home, that 20%, I mean, that 10% increase has gone up 200,000. So that's how you really leverage your money. You put that money down, maybe you leverage it a little bit more than someone else. And if you play it out well, you right. end up seeing a higher return 
than if you play it safe, especially when you go into multifamily and rely on mm -hmm. cash flow. Yeah, you leverage like other people's money. Home. I mean, that's that's the case with real estate. You know, I don't know if you follow Pace Morby, but he's he's huge on that. Buying real estate with no money down or seller financing, or you know, a number of different avenues. Highly recommend you know looking into them if if you haven't. Um, but then, I mean, that also goes. That's why it's crucial to to some degree, you know, take that risk to find a way to diversify and really find a way to get mm -hmm. that cash flow so you can live a more comfortable life as we age. Because uh, as I was saying this, uh, you know, a story earlier about Grant Cardone and Robert from Shark Tank, Robert was saying that immigration mentality mm -hmm. um, is to pay everything with all cash, right? Um, he was saying to, I guess mm -hmm. he used an example when he was young or maybe his parents came, I think it was more, but there was like, yeah. uh, if you have $100,000, right? He has $100,000 and a friend has 100,000. He would always ask his friend who decided to pay the house in cash, $100,000 home or $200,000 home where you already paid percent off. Why not, mm -hmm. if you have the means, buy a million dollar home as an example. I think that's a bit of a you know extreme example. Buy a million dollar yeah. house, leverage your, your money. Now you can get a, a more expensive asset. You put, uh, you end up, you know, putting or not putting, but you end up seeing an appreciation over 20 years or whatever. Let's just say at the bare minimum that that $200,000 home you bought has only gone up $40,000, right? You spent that $100,000, right. but if you spent $100,000 and bought a million dollar home, that 20%, I mean, that 10% increase has gone up 200,000. So that's how you really leverage your money. You put that money down, maybe you leverage it a little bit more than someone else. And if you play it out well, you end up seeing a higher return than if you play it safe, especially when you go into multifamily and rely on cash flow versus like a single family home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you leverage other people's money. I mean, that's that's the case with real estate. You know, I don't know if you follow Pace Morby, but he's he's huge on that. Buying real estate with no money down or seller financing or, you know, a number of different avenues. Highly recommend, you know, looking into them if if you haven't. Um, but then, I mean, that also goes to the point of, you know, businesses. And if you're starting your own business or you're involved in a startup using investor funding to fund your business and getting it started, right? Or in that right. might free up some of your time once that gets started, not having to put as much capital towards that to also, you know, maybe start another business or in invest in another real estate opportunity, whatever it might be. Right. Uh, right. Pace Morby. What was that guy's name though that you mentioned? Morby. Yeah. Pace. Yeah. Morby. He says he, yeah, though? he, or you can look, look him up and you'll see. he has so much content. He has so much content. Well, I don't is. know if that's, a it, it is just look him up. That, that, I, no, no, no. But I mean, I'll look mm -hmm. into it and we can go back to this conversation with that. But I think zero down is kind of leading into mm -hmm. potential issues, kind of like in 2008, you know, because you have. No, oh, he buys it seller financing oh, with nothing. With, yeah, with nothing That's down. Fine. But he has a number of he has a number of different Got real it. estate purchasing uh, like okay. methods seller financing. That yeah, that's another story. Yeah. And that's just that's just what one. I also recommend people right. watching and, and hearing too is uh, I have it on my Twitter Andrew Avargs by the way uh, give that a follow but you guys should mm -hmm. all follow or look up when you can it's um, friend of mine um, 
actually showed it to me, Miguel, he's a realtor too. Um, it's secrets of old money. So 500 year families at 500 year family, basically it kind of goes back to what we were talking about the legacy of wealth building. Right. Um, so he gives a lot of advice on how to go about that, how it's important to have meetings with your family, talk about finances, lead the young generation to mm -hmm. kind of move forward and better understand and use as an instrument with that but i think zero down is kind of leading into potential issues no he buys it like seller financing you know with nothing yeah. With, yeah with nothing down but he has a oh, number seller of, he has a number oh, of different okay. real estate purchasing that's better uh like methods that he teaches got it yeah and that's just that's just okay. one of them. seller financing right. yeah, that's another story okay what i also recommend people watching and, and hearing too is uh, I have it mm -hmm. on my Twitter, Andrew Avargs, by the way, uh, give that a follow, but you guys should all follow or look up when you can. It's a um, friend of mine, um, actually showed it to me, Miguel, he's a realtor too. Um, it's secrets of old money. So 500 year family is at 500 year family. Basically it kind of goes back to what we were talking about the legacy of wealth building right um so he gives a lot of advice on how to go about that how it's mm -hmm. important to have meetings with your family talk about finances lead the young generation to kind of move forward mm -hmm. yeah i mean the personal finance industry is i mean bigger now than i think it ever was i mean it was there was a big need for it before but now i mean you could see so many people that have become teachers or influencers or just give out, you know, free content, free material on personal finance, right? Right. I mean, that's some of the things. Right. That we but but we're also very transparent. Like I can talk a lot about real estate. You can talk a lot about other things in engineering mm -hmm. and, and, and project right. management, but you know, we won't ever give advice like, you know, what stock to buy and things like that. If that's the thing we want to talk about in an episode, which mm -hmm. we will, by the way, I would like to bring on a guest who's now my financial advisor um, at Kerber Kawasaki, and he knows the ins and outs of that. So he's the expert in that, we're the expert in other things. But mm. I wanted to leave people too with um, a quote that I'm sure you've heard um, by two people, right? Because we see the stock market's not doing good and probably not gonna do too good early 2023, at least the first quarter, but who knows, it might go back up. The, the point is though, before I tell you the quote is, at one point, there will be a bottom. Most people don't know when it is, and that's why it's good at dollar cost average. And that quote is the following by Warren Buffett. Um, be, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. So basically, when nobody's buying stocks mm -hmm. right now, you know, with Tesla being down, you may want to consider spending a little bit on that stock and investing because yeah. we might be at a bottom. We don't know. And then there's John Templeton, who's another fascinating investor. Um, he said the time of maximum pessimism is the best time to buy and the time of maximum optimism right. is the best time to sell. So in 2021, when Bitcoin was at its peak and everything was you know, wonderful and NFTs earlier this year too, or last year, um, you know, everybody was in optimism phase yeah. and that's yep. maybe Agree. the time Go to sell essentially. The opposite of the majority, you know, like against the grain. Right. Mm -hmm. So, no, I like right. that quote the best. It's one of my favorites. The second, the second one. Be, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. So basically when nobody's buying stocks right now, you know, with Tesla being down, you may want to consider 
spending a little bit on that stock mm -hmm. and investing because we might be at a bottom. We don't know. And then there's John Templeton, who's another fascinating yeah. investor. Um, he said the time of maximum pessimism is the best time to buy. And the time of maximum optimism is the best time to sell. So in 2021, when Bitcoin was right. at its peak and everything was you know, wonderful and NFTs earlier this year too, or last year, um, you know, everybody was in optimism phase and that's maybe the time to sell essentially. Yep. Yep. Agree. Okay. Go right. the opposite of the majority, you know, like against the grain. Right. Mm-hmm. So Which, you know, I like that quote. The one, it's one of my favorites. Oh, it, by John second, Templeton. The second one. Which which one though? Yeah. Very oh, good by John Templeton. Right. Yeah, he's great. All right. Any uh any other points you want to touch on before we wrap up, Andrew? Um, yeah, I'd like to tell everyone watching and listening. Um, we're gonna have some more guests on uh for twenty throughout twenty twenty-three. So it'll be fascinating. We'll have different people on that um, are experts in their own field, whether it be business or some other type of industry, will pick their brains on how they got so successful, what their plans are, and how they excel under pressure. As we know, that's what full count's all about. So we'll ask them their full count moment. And I think it, it's going to be a good time and it'll be fascinating yep. to Sounds good. have people yeah, watch. No, I look forward to it too. You know, we get a lot of these conversations as well. So yeah, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good quote. But, all right. Any uh, any other points you want to touch um, on? Yeah, I'd like to tell everyone here? watching and listening. Um, we're gonna have some more guests on uh, for twenty throughout twenty twenty three. So it'll be fascinating. We'll have different people on that um, are experts in their own field, whether it be business or some other type of industry. We'll pick their brains on how they got so successful, what their plans are, and how they excel under pressure. As we know, that's what full counts all about. So we'll ask them their full count moment. And I think it's going to be a good time and it'll be fascinating to have people watch and listen. Yep. Sounds good. Yeah, no, I look forward to it too. You know, we get a lot of these All conversations right. as well. Um, but with that, hope everybody has a good start to All the right. new year and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. All nice. right. Thank that you. Was good to talk to you soon. So, um, but with that, hope everybody has a good start to the new year and, uh, all right. Thank you.